on Saturday against the Titans. The Minnesota Vikings struggled, especially on run defense. Let's see if we can't figure out what went wrong on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You liked it on three, one, two, three. You, like it! you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Luke Braun. Hey, let's find some joy today. You can find the Locked On Vikings podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it is any audio listening app, such as SiriusXM. We're partnered with them. You can also find the show on YouTube or Amazon Fire and Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. You can get it right up there on your smart TV. Uh, today on the show, this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com slash locked on today, and you can get 10% off of your first month if you're thinking of starting therapy. Today on the show, we've got to recap that old preseason game. I'm going to focus more on the defense today. Haven't gotten as much of a chance to talk about the offense. Uh, and I think the defense it's, is, is a little bit more interesting right now, in particular the run defense. What happened on the—they gave up like 220-some yards. Oh my god, it's way worse. It's 281 total yards on the ground. Uh, so what happened there? We'll go over that, plus I'll keep you posted on how Lewis Seen and Andrew Booth are doing, as well as some of the other odds and ends from the game, injuries, all that stuff. But uh, let's get into the first thing here, which is that run defense. And when when run defense goes wrong, it is so often a very little thing that it can be like difficult to diagnose because run defense is decided on its subtleties. And part of understanding those like really hidden intricacies is understanding some of the formation and alignment stuff that decides whose job is what. Um, you don't really go into a game and say, all right, Troy, die. You've got the A-gap all day. You're going to be running through that center and guard, and that's your job. That's not really how it works, right? We we come up with a front, and in this front, your job is the A-gap, and in that front, your job is the backside B-gap or the playside B-gap, depending on where it goes. And, you know, on this front, you're here, and on that front, you're there. And to be honest with you, run fits and the strategy behind their design still sort of mystifies me a little bit. That's a, an area of weakness for me that I, I do want to work on. So I, I'll probably talk a lot about run fits this year as sort of a learning curve. Um, but here's what I do understand, that in the vaguest sense, I understand that run fits and how they like pair with the coverages that they're stapled to um, is, is a fundamental part of play calling. So if you are say, running cover three, and that causes a linebacker to have to go play in the flat. Um, you'll ideally pair that with a run fit that has that linebacker uh, covering an outside gap so that whether it's run or pass, they can take their first two steps to the outside and then they have to assess from there. It can be a good way to combat play action, right? Similarly, adjusting this is a way to um, sort of adapt your run game in the middle of the game. So if they're gashing you on the ground, you can if you can identify why that is happening, who is, I don't even want to say at fault, but just where the pressure point is that is failing, 
you can maybe make that guy's job easier or put a different guy in that gap. If there's a tackle that's just balling, maybe you need to put a nose, maybe you need to change your run fit so that the nose tackle is scraping over and taking him instead of a linebacker. Um, whatever you, you've got to do. But that's all stuff you're not going to do in the preseason. So what I saw a lot of, and I think this in a real game, this would have adapted. So the Titans would come out in their base 12 personnel a lot of the time, two tight ends. And when their two tight ends come on, our base package came on. And we never adjusted that, really. Um, and that's fine, right? That's preseasony. And they would run either a fairly vanilla outside zone and a little bit of powder encounter. So they look like they're going to actually mix outside zone and uh, gap schemes, which is a pretty potent combination if you can run both of them well because there is this like added layer of difficulty when you're a, a defender reading that. On gap schemes where there's a puller, everybody will block down. They'll block opposite the way the play is going. If it's a left, a run to the left, most of the offensive line will block the guy to their right and everybody kind of shifts down one and a puller will come around and sort of replace and rotate in. And that makes a lot of guys' jobs easy. It makes the puller's job hard. And But if the puller can do that job, then, you know, bada-bing, you got a great play going. And on zone runs, you block the... Your, your first step will be to the play side, to the same side as the run. So a zone left, you're blocking to your left. Power left, you're blocking to your right. Which means, as a linebacker, you can't just look at the direction all the O-line goes and figure out which way the run is going, because it might be gap and it might not be. You have to look for pullers, you have to look for other keys makes it a little harder. The other thing is, in a lot of the fronts that the Vikings used, we'll go with their kind of classic type front, which is uh, a five, like five down type front. So you've got your two uh, edge rushers on the outside, call them five techs. You have somebody on the ins or seven techs or whatever. Uh, you've got your guy, two guys just inside the tackles as four techs or four eyes. And then you've got your nose tackle in the middle, right? And there's your five men down on the line of scrimmage. And if you think about that, what gaps does that leave uncovered, right? You've got a tackle inside, or you've got a defensive tackle inside the shoulder of an offensive tackle. So that guy's in a B gap, right? You've got that on both sides. You've got a zero tech who is in one of the A gaps, maybe even both if he's a baller. Um, you've got nobody in the C gaps, right? So linebackers have to get into, into those C gaps a lot of the time, or even safeties. It's a difficult job because they probably won't be aligning over there. They'll be aligning in, say, I'll call it a 20 tech, which uh, is two tech alignment, which means head up over the guard, but you put the zero on it to denote that they're off the ball, they're a linebacker, so 20. Um, they would have to go from lining up over the guard to all the way over in the C gap outside the tackle. So they got to flash across two gaps and get in before the thing's a gain. It's a difficult assignment. Uh, they did for my money, I die and pasted all right with that, but that's very difficult. And if they're gashing you on the ground with that, you might start coming out in different fronts. Vikings didn't do that because it's preseason. Why would you show your adjustment to that? Right. Why would you show your go-to, you know, change up, uh, before the games counted and they just said, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll take our 280 yards rushing. And a lot of it came on scrambles from Malik Willis too, which is, I think a different skill set. 
Uh, you know, guys like Abraham Boplan taking a bad angle in the fourth quarter and Malik Willis runs for like 30 more yards is not really that much of a concern. And a lot of the runs came on explosives. We'll talk about the scene play. There was a Lewis scene play where uh, Tajay or yeah, it was not Tajay Sharp, Tajay Spears uh, hurdled him and, and scored a touchdown. There was another one where uh, the corners, the, the corner and the safety messed up and it was a really big, long run. Uh, for like 50, 60 yards. So a lot of those yards came on explosives as well. And if you diagnose the pro- the cause of those explosives, then we can kind of decide, okay, how worried are we about those explosives? Um, to give you a quick rundown of, you know, guys that did well or poorly, I would say that Bo Plan and uh, Troy Reader in particular really struggled, especially when they were on the field together. I think they struggled with that assignment a lot, getting over to the right gap and either over-pursuing it because you just got to haul ass so hard, uh, or under pursuing it and trying to play it too safe or whatever and, and sort of getting caught out of their gaps. I, I think Reader, in partic- he gave up a touchdown to it. He, in particular, had a really, really rough game with a couple of good plays in there kind of sprinkled in, but really rough there. Uh, I, conversely, the defensive linemen themselves were penetrating a lot and holding their gaps very well, and the linebackers just weren't filling the way that you would hope that they would. So somebody like TJ Smith, I thought, had a good day. Uh, Sheldon Day had a phenomenal day. Uh, And then the only other guy I would point out is Andre Carter, who had, I would say, a couple good reps and a couple of catastrophic reps. (laughs) His good reps were about as numerous as his bad reps, but they were not nearly as extreme as his bad reps, where he would take a bad angle, he would lose contain on the quarterback when it was his job, uh, or just kind of get stonewalled. But hey, he did have, I think he had either a a pressure, it might have been a full-on sack, uh, and a really nice TFL that came after one of those angle problems. But I think all in all, Andre Carter, who is currently playing distinctly below Benton Whitley, his, uh, his, his undrafted free agent roster odds are not looking great to me, at least. Uh, but hey, he's supposed to be in the incubator and be in the lab. And I think he could stand to get a little stronger and a little faster just by putting his body in only football shape for a year. That was always kind of the thing with him. Um, I would like to discuss Lewisine. I would like to discuss, uh, Andrew Booth as well as all the other stuff that kind of went down in this game. Before I do that, however, I would like to talk to you about the sponsor of today's episode. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is therapy online and therapy can be a very intimidating thing to go into. For one, I mean, there's stigma around it, which I think is bunk, you know, go, get yourself what you need to stay healthy, right? It's This is not going to a doctor because your brain is broken. This is going to a place to maintain your health, right? That's what I always think that therapy is. That's what therapy has been for me, at least. I've been in it for years now. And the service that BetterHelp provides is that they can get you hooked up with the therapist that is right for you. You got to go through a bunch of them. Um, a lot of people will go try one therapist, have a bad experience and say, ah, this therapy thing isn't for me, but they're not all like that. And if you don't like a therapist, they can help switch you over to a different one and um, get you paired up with somebody that fits exactly what your mental health needs are. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash on today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash on. Thanks so much for making Locked on Vikings your first listen of the day every single day. 
a bunch of the stuff that I'm talking about in today's episode, I want to de- dig a little bit deeper in later in the week, and I will do that at patreon.com slash NFL. So go check out patreon.com slash NFL. Everything that I did for the Seahawks game is now free to watch over there, as well as the history doc and any other old videos you want to go watch. And then uh, if you join, you can see the stuff from the Titans game when it comes out instead of having to wait until after the next game. Uh, one of those things that I talked about in the Seahawks game was Lewis Seen. I did a whole big video. I did like 12 reps of his uh, about the game that he had against Seahawks and how it sort of requires some nuance to properly parse out. Um, I don't think that this game was as complicated. I think he just had a pretty good night. The play that people remember the most, and I think there's a negativity bias to this, where it's just kind of easier to remember the most most spectacular thing or the thing that sort of uh, feels the worst, which is seen getting hurdled by Ty J Spears on that long touchdown run. Um, that was just seen filling in his gap and going for the tackle and going too low. And it's funny because last week we talked about how he's going too high, and then he comes back and he does the extreme the other way, which, hey... At least they're emphasizing it, right? It's like it's a little validating to know that the thing that we're like all seeing actually is the thing we're all seeing, you know, uh, and there isn't some actual secret real root of the problems. Like, now nah, he's just the, the coaches were like, yeah, you're tackling too high. And they did that, I think, for all of the DBs. Jay Ward got hurdled once. Andrew Booth missed a tackle going low. I think all of the defensive backs, Kalon Barnes had one uh, deep in the in the game, who, by the way, Kalon Barnes disaster game. <laughs> really rough one and I think this is sort of the time of year where you look at guys and kind of see okay there it is this is the play that got you cut there's a crosser with Kalon Barnes where he just uh I think it's honestly a coverage bust I think he just waits too long on his assignment he doesn't follow it the way he's supposed to and it's just like all right you got to be able to do that (laughs) but with scene um that play where you you go too low it's a really good run by Tajay Spears, and I, I think it's more a, of a good running back play than it is a bad safety play because on the on the whole, going at the ankles, especially going up against the Titans, a team where normally this would be Derrick Henry, so it kind of does simulate how you would prepare for that team, is you dive at Derrick Henry's legs. You don't try to take that dude out around the shoulders, right? You don't even try to take him out around the waist. He's too bulky, and he's, he's too good at that. You kind of have to try to upend him because he's tall, uh, so that would be the, the, the way that you would probably prepare for Derrick Henry is to preach tackling low. Um, and everybody tackled low. So I'm not going to kill Lewis scene for tackling low and the running back did a good job of punishing it. Good job Spears, but he got a couple of other great plays tackling low. Uh, he was, I thought a little bit quicker in terms of reading coverages, there was that same cover three issue where there was a deep over he was supposed to pick up and he was kind of late to it. Malik Willis botched the throw so they didn't get punished. Uh, but later in the game, they hit him with the same play and scene was all over it. Uh, they also had a problem with with Theo Jackson on those reps where he would, it was a it's play action usually, and he has to play run first, and then he had to back off. But on the first rep, he didn't back off to nearly enough depth. And you can actually see scene and Jackson coming up to each other right after the play and talking about it. And then on the next rep, he drops a little deeper and scene reacts a little quicker. And it's cool to see that kind of learning happen in, in real time. Um, so I'm not mad about the ankle tackle thing like at all. Uh, I, I think if you want to be super, super pissed about it and say that Quasi doesn't know what he's doing because 
the safety did what he was coached to do. I don't know. I guess you're you're free to it, you're, it's it's a free country and you have all the license in the in the world to be wrong. But I would encourage you to think about it with a little bit more nuance than that. Um, I, and this one doesn't take a lot, <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, last week took a, took a good bit of nuance. This week, not so much. Uh, but what you see is, you know, the, this trigger downhill. When when Scene sees what he's going to do and makes the decision to go, it's amazing how quickly he closes that space. And as he works into getting more and more comfortable, he gets closer to actually having a role on the team. Uh, and that isn't, you know, safety for. Obviously, Metellus and Bynum and, of course, Harrison Smith are above him on the depth chart. Guys get hurt, so, you know, you, you got to be ready anyways. But also... Hopefully he can really crack a rotation and be a player that they use some and he's not just sitting in the incubator all year, uh, which is kind of what I thought was going to happen last year. And then he broke his leg and I'm hoping that, you know, he doesn't have to like just totally repeat that. Uh, Andrew Booth was the other guy that everybody wants to know a lot about. Uh, Again, I thought pretty good day. He had one target. I don't think it was entire. It's I'm not going to say it wasn't like his fault. I think fault is a, a really bad way to look at it. Um, but I don't think it was necessarily a bad rep on him. It was a basic over the middle dig route in breaking route uh, versus very vanilla cover one with no routes. Cover one, uh, I'll call it cover one dog. I'm pretty sure that's the wrong word for it. But five man rush, one deep safety, five one on ones across the board. So you don't even have it, the inside help of a rat that you would usually have in cover one. And because they so they spread it out to empty uh they put a running back in the i think it was spears they split him out wide and had him run a clear out so when a running back is split out wide i think in cover one and you're the slot corner which is what andrew booth was you have to shade your alignment to the outside because that i think just kind of screams smash You've got a running back out to the outside. That guy's just going to run a stupid little hitch. And then, you know, you're you're the outside corner drawn into the slot. They're going to run a corner route on you. Um, so aligning outside is a very defensible thing to do. And then the route breaks inside and you got to catch up to it, right? The ball was ultimately dropped with some interference by Andrew Booth, who caught up and kind of made the play as the tight end was juggling it. So... You did something, although he had to juggle it a whole bunch to give you time to get back into the play. Whatever. I don't think he played that wrong. I don't think he necessarily played it poorly. I think it's a weakness of that coverage, which is, you know, if you spread things out to empty to get that corner into an outside leverage, then run an inside route on him, you got him. And there's no inside help. Uh, the, the, the five-man rush has to get home. That's the difference. So other than that rep... I thought Booth closed down spaces very quickly. This is kind of what he did at Clemson is once he sees where you're going, he can really go kind of zoom right in and then run hip to hip with you. And I thought he did a good job of that assignment sound and all of that. I think there was only like one other time where I felt he could have been targeted. And over the course of, I think he played three quarters, three and a half quarters. That's a solid day. I think Andrew Booth can feel pretty good about the day that he had. Um, there's a couple other things that I want to get into, mainly my guy, hashtag my guy, uh, Najee Thompson, who did end up exiting the game with a concussion, but not before proving his medal on special teams again. So that's coming right up. First things first, let's talk a little bit about Grambling. It is, look, the football season is here, man. 
You got to get in your futures bets. The Vikings over under is at eight and a half. So if you think the Vikings have a winning record this year, that's all that's saying. If you think they have a winning record this year, you can go to FanDuel and bet it. And hey, if you bet the Vikings to win the Super Bowl, which is it's like plus 3,500 or something crazy. Uh, but if you wanted to bet that, you can get bonus bets every time the Vikings win. And that applies to any team. So you can place that puppy on the Chiefs. And even if the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl, I mean, you can still like win that bet, right? But even if the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl, they win 13 games. That's 13 times that you get bonus bets. There's all kinds of cool promos like that at FanDuel, which is what makes them America's number one sports book, safe, secure, and very easy to use on their app, and they pay out instantly when they win. So go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. In quick housekeeping news, uh, just a couple of things. So Nikhil Harry, who I made a big deal about on Friday, like I was really excited to watch him. Unfortunately, he had some soft tissue, something or other, couldn't participate in the game. I, I hope he can participate against Arizona. Uh, obviously, if he can't do that, then then it's the experiment is probably over. Uh, just, you know, for can't make the club in the tub reasons, which is a, a big bummer. Um but that's a situation to monitor as we go toward joint practices with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, we also lost Najee Thompson to a concussion in the game, which is very sad, although I'm going to talk about him quite a lot in a little bit. But the other piece of news, we're still waiting on the official transaction, but it seems the Vikings have brought in a fourth quarterback in Jordan Ta'amu. This is their third DC defender of the XFL that they brought in to Amu, I believe was offensive player of the year for the XFL this year um, and had a, a really nice season. He has been sort of a superstar of the spring leagues. He was an AAF dude. He was in the, the uh, first iteration of the Vince McMahon or not the, the second iteration, the co pre COVID iteration, the, the first reboot, I think is one of the words that I'm looking for. Um, he was in the 2020 version for the St. Louis Battlehawks. He played for the DC Defenders in this version. I believe he had a USFL team last year. Um, so he's been all over the spring leagues, and he's always been one of the more prolific quarterbacks there. Now he comes and, you know, has a shot to hope. I, I guess he's hoping to, like, make a practice squad in Minnesota. I think it's really a glorified workout. Um, but it was reported by the XFL's, like, official Twitter account. So I do trust that it is an actual contract with the Vikings. Uh, but it's one that I think is liable to be terminated in 12 or so days, uh, whenever cut down day is, but we'll see what happens there. It's interesting because I don't know how, uh, he gets any reps in the preseason. I mean, I guess you don't necessarily need to give Mullins any more reps. We've seen what he is. Um, I wouldn't disagree with getting him more reps and, you know, getting him a, a little bit more time with, with the twos and backups and the event, you know, you need someone to come in, right? He is the primary guy, and I don't think Jaron Hall is taking that from him. Um, but I would also kind of want to see Jaron Hall get like a whole preseason game against the Cardinals. So if you want to put in Ta'amu, I guess go for it. Uh, but the, the the rotation will be very fascinating, I guess. Or he could just be a guy that's here to do handoffs in camp and not play at all in, in the uh, actual preseason, and then he gets cut, and that's that. Sometimes you bring in a fourth guy just to sort of be that guy. Um. What we don't know yet, and when this transaction is official, we'll know this, is what the corresponding move is. The Vikings roster is full as it stands right now. So bringing in Jordan Ta'amu and signing a contract with him, somebody needs to be cut or put on IR or traded away or something. So there is a corresponding move on the horizon. Keep an eye out for that. 
Um, for the last part of the show, I want to talk about Najee Thompson and punt gunning. So Najee Thompson has been something of a story of camp, which is really, really dope because we saw this. If you are an everydayer, uh, sound off in the comments if you're hashtag everydayer uh, or, or on Twitter or whatever. And you listened to the Najee Thompson, Najee Thompson interview that I did with him right after he signed as an undrafted free agent. You can still go back and watch if you want. I was so endeared uh, by his love for special teams and how he approached it as like he how he saw it as his primary job. It wasn't just a like a, I love the dirty work kind of blue collar guy kind of thing. It was no, I'm a special teamer. Oh, yeah. And also, I guess I'm like kind of learning quarterback. <laughs> but he is like that was his identity and i remember thinking like you know that's r- really valuable um and a, a really good way to go make the team on special teams because nobody else on special teams sees it as their primary job it's an afterthought to everybody but you and that's a good way to be better than everybody else on the field at something and lo and behold here is what we have with Najee thompson um i'm gonna do a, almost certainly gonna do a patreon video on this but he has been in on four punts so far. I'm going to take this from uh, Kevin Fielder, who has is uh, writes for Vikings Wire sometimes. Um, when he was on the field on those four punts, the opposing team had a total of two punt return yards, total of two, uh, and one was there was a really good down downing there too. Uh, that counts as just like a zero for a fair catch, but. I should mention it pinned them on the two. When Thompson is not on the field, the Vikings have given up 39 return yards on a total of six punts. Uh, Look, that's 10 punts total. You you need a bigger sample to get anything major, but I think you can kind of say that um, his impact is felt. And it's beyond just that. Seeing it on tape, he has been... approached with some challenges from the other teams. Both the Seahawks and Titans double-teamed him, and he split those double-teams, or in one case, he released really hard to the outside, or to the inside, and then actually cut up field once he got both of those jammers running inside with him. He cut up field and actually got past them. He he actually crossed one up and got him, like, diving, swinging at air, so he actually removed one of the jammers from the equation. And he's able to actually make those tackles and make those plays. He comes in like a bat out of hell, um, but he's under control. And that's what's important. That's the thing like Dan Jacena never did, was he would never be able to break himself down and get back under control. And when I say break down, I don't mean come to a full stop. I mean get your body under control. Just slow down enough so that you can change um, change your direction if the, if the punter does. And you can see, you know, Tay Gowan in a similar spot he goes and dives and misses, and then you get a return. That has not happened yet with Najee Thompson. I, uh, I, I reiterate, he left the game with a minor concussion. Big bummer there. Um, so if he doesn't play against Arizona, that's that. But I, here's what I'm going to say. I think it would be a bad idea to not roster him. I think he's, he's that much better than everybody else on special teams at gunning in particular. And hey, he plays on the punt blocking group. Uh, he plays, I believe he plays as a jammer there. He plays on kickoff coverage and all that stuff. So he's playing on multiple special teams units and he's good at them. That is a recipe to make the team. Uh, and that is a value that you can offer as that sort of 53rd guy. I, if it were up to me, I'd roster him. 
Uh, and that's not just the bias of bias because he came on my show. <laughs> Although, look, sue me. <laughs> uh, but I, I really do think that it's it is that much better than everybody else on the team. I think it, it's really worth it. I, I want to show you more than I tell you, and I'm going to have to save that for Patreon. Um, this is going to be a really rad week of Locked On Vikings. On Wednesday, I had a conversation I'll release with uh, John Boyce, who's doing the history of the Minnesota Vikings over at Secret Base. I did my version of the history of the Minnesota Vikings last year, so we kind of had a compare and contrast. That was a just turned into a really awesome conversation about storytelling. Um, I also, I think I'm going to talk later in the week to Arif Hassan, who just launched a new Substack, so we'll have that going. Of course, we've got a preseason game, uh, film study stuff to go over. Twitter Tuesday is tomorrow. Get your questions in uh, at LockedOnVikingsPodcast at gmail.com. You can send an email uh, to there, fill out the Google form in the show notes, or just send it to me on Twitter at NFL or at LockedOnVikings. I will see you all tomorrow. Should be a good week. And as always, skull.